This is the word of the week from HC3. Hi there, my name's Tom and I record and produce the Word of the Week podcast. Unfortunately, this week due to some technical issues, we weren't able to record the sermon. However, through the magic of file history, we were able to bring you this archived sermon as a replacement. It was recorded on the 19th of May 2019 and it's titled Pits. The sermon is spoken by Bernard Plume. Hope you enjoyed the sermon. God bless you. Profit in pits. Now, our American cousins, and they are our cousins, have um, a strange phrase for pits, don't they? They refer to these things, the armpits. But we're not going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about going down into a pit, and I'll define that for you in a moment. Most of the thoughts will be based around Joseph and his brothers in Genesis 37, but there's some other pits here as well. But I want to give you a little premise here. I believe you can go into a pit and you can come up smelling of roses. Let's try that again. You can go into a pit and you can come up smelling of roses. Yes. See, my eldest son, we describe him as one of those. He's the man. Now, personally, I don't do the lottery, but if you do, well, that's your decision. God bless you. But if you want someone to fill your ticket in, get him to do it. Because whatever he does, he's got the touch. He's been on TV shows and all sorts of things. So I say to him, I said, Simon, whatever you do, you could be put into the proverbial manure. You would come up smelling of roses. And he does time and again. But let me get a bit now serious now and describe what I would say a pit is. I think a pit can be symbolic of defeat, it can be symbolic of decline, and ultimately destruction. It can be something that's actual, a situation that you are physically going through, or a person that opposes you, or a system or a philosophy that opposes you, or it could be a struggle you may be having with your own mental welfare. All of these things, if you like, bundle them up together and say, they represent a pit. I believe that some of you today will be going through that. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm just asking God to speak to you if this applies to you by the power of his spirit. So here's the good news, folks. Yes, this is the good news. You will pass through these pits. And in them, there's one of two outcomes, depending on who you put your trust in. Here's outcome number one. Now, I haven't tried to be clever by showing you how many words I can come up with that begin with P, but I thought it's a nice little aid memoir. When you're in that pit, whatever that pit is for you, this is what the devil wants to do. He wants to pollute you, petrify you, and putrefy you. Oh, that's a challenging one, isn't it? Shall we say it again, Simon? Let's, Let's all say this. Pollute, petrify and putrefy. I'm so glad I've got that out of the way. Bottom line is, he wants to finish you in the pit, guys, yeah? But it's not going to happen if you're trusting in God, because he wants to do the opposite. He wants to purify you. He wants to give you peace. He wants to project you onwards. And the four examples I've got for you today will actually show you this. So if you think about it very simply, what God is doing is a divine reversal of the demonic intent. You are not just fighting against people. You are fighting against strong, powerful, demonic, evil powers that want to take you down. 
And they want option number one to be yours. God wants option number two. And if you're led by the Holy Spirit, no matter what pitch you go through, you will come out. Hallelujah, smelling of roses. So here are the four biblical pits. I'm going to be precise because you can view this, but obviously it's being recorded. The first one we're going to look at is the pit of deceit. This is what Joseph went through with his brothers. You'll find that in Genesis 38 and 39. Then very quickly, we're going to look at Jeremiah, the prophet. Remember that guy? He was in a pit of deflection. We'll unpack that when we get to it. That's in Jeremiah 37, 38, and there's our little picture down there. We're then going to be looking at something a bit more familiar, Daniel, in his pit of deliverance, in with the lions. And lastly, the least well-known of the four is a guy called Benaniah, who is one of King David's mighty men who went down into a snow-covered pit and fought a lion single-handed. You'll find that in 2 Samuel 23. So let's do number one. First of all, the pit of deceit. I'm going to call the pit of deceit, sorry, for sake of illustration, what I'll call in-house deceit or a place you would at least, sorry, you'd least expect it to come. There are certain things that we regard a place where we would... um, automatically think we're going to get love and understanding and support. Isn't that true of your life? All sorts of... Now, it it may be, well, probably less in the workplace, but some people, the workplace is a family to them, isn't it? The church is a family, yes. Your genetic, physical or adoptive family, that's a place. I think these are all places where we should expect love and understanding and support. But sadly, and I've got to give you the bad news... Sometimes in all those places where we should feel safe, it's a pit of deceit. You get where I'm coming from? So we need to understand that's going to happen to us. So what we need to do is reconcile ourselves that wounds will come to us and often they'll come from those who are closest. And you need to begin not in the pit, but right here and now through your walk with God to determine what your response is going to be. You see, when you go through pits, they can have an effect there and then, but they can have an effect weeks later, months later, years later. Let me test your memory here. Who could remember that dreadful bomb that took place during the marathon that was in Boston, USA? You remember that one? It was horrendous. Now, one of the uh, first aiders, she was not present at the event of the the bombing, but she was called out and she came and she tended, (coughs) excuse me, the people who were victims of that dreadful thing that was going on. So she physically wasn't there. Yet the interesting thing was that for months afterwards, whenever she heard a loud clap or a backfire of a car, she jumped with a start. What had happened is that thing, the consequences had gone into the very fibre of her being. So be certain of this, that what the devil wants to do is, when he takes you into a pit, he doesn't just want to affect you there. When you come out of it, he's also after giving you the aftershock. You with me? The trauma that follows on from that. Joseph went through some real consequences. I want to put them down here. He was in danger from his brothers. His brothers premeditated their crime. They slandered him. They betrayed him. There was lies. There was robbery. There was almost murder. And then when they put him in the pit and then slavery, there was an indifference and even a profit that's made off their own brother. That was a real aftershock, wasn't it? That was a real trauma. Think about his father. For 17 years, this guy believed he'd lost his son. 
He believed he'd lost the apple of his eye. Do you see the aftershock carrying on from the pit? How many people? It's like a web. It spreads out. Let me give you one more thing. The brothers, 17 years they had to carry the guilt of the lies that they had taken to their father. And they had no idea what had happened to their brothers. Can you see that ripple effect that goes out? So we need to be aware and say that stuff is going to come. It's going to be profound. It's going to be deep. Only God can get me through it now and through the aftershock. So take those thoughts on. Let me give you a quote. A lady called Isabel Carmody says this, The deepest wounds are not necessarily the ones we get from others, but the ones we inflict on ourselves when we hurt others. Can you see how that worked in the life of Joseph's brothers? The wounds that were running through them? And you would think, well, that's okay. So Joseph gets out of the pit and everything's going to be wonderful and he's in Potiphar's house and yet he's still a slave, but he's giving a position of trust. But what happens is, we know Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph to sleep with her. He rejects this. And so he then gets a double dose. If you study the story, and I haven't got time to go into it, you'll see that she replicates almost all of the things that had been done previously by the brothers. So again, not just one layer of defeat, he's getting a double layer of deceit. And what for? All this guy had been is a faithful servant. And now he's being betrayed. Friends, I just want to say this about deceit. Wounds will leave aftershock and consequences. Deceit has a characteristic of double agendas. It's a dreadful thing. I think I've shared it before, but I worked for 20 years for British Sugar. And we had a personnel officer there. And our nickname for him was the Smiling Assassin. And and that was right. He would smile at you and say all kinds of lovely things, but he was working a double agenda. And he would often use statements and things that you had shared with him and turn them round against you. What awful fruit. The brothers deceived their father. They deceived Joseph. They deceived themselves. Where do you think double agendas come from? Go back into Genesis 3.1 and you'll see the easy origin. God wants this for Adam and Eve. The devil comes along with his double agenda of deceit and he says, you know what? God doesn't want that. And he's planning against him. He's jealous of you in case you become like him. So that's where a double agenda comes from. It's not just in the person themselves. It's in the force that's motivating. The liar has always been operative. The liar is always there. What did Joseph do? But you know, I like to have something practical. Number one, He rested in God's sovereignty. Number two, he responded with honest service. Number three, he released a sweet spirit of forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? When all this horrible stuff is happening to him, he doesn't get better, he doesn't get angry, he doesn't rail at God. He says, God, you're in charge. He doesn't understand it, and you won't understand some of the pits that you are taken through in the will of God. Rest in his sovereignty. Respond with honest service. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? If you're in a workplace and maybe promotion has been given to somebody else and there's another agenda and they've got the promotion that should have been yours and then you've got to take the orders from them and the instruction from them. And I remember being in a workplace once where a guy got a job over me and he was a total and absolute waster. And for three years I had to work under him because he had the senior boss in his back pocket for reasons I can't go into. And I had determined that I had to do my job to God's glory and not to sit there like Mr. Mumpty groaning for the next three years. Yep, 
It's got a real personal application. I'm going to give you a quote now from somebody I recommend that you don't read too much into, the well-known Oprah Winfrey, yeah? Now, Oprah's into a lot of New Age stuff, so don't go there. But she says this, turn your wounds into wisdom. You won't be wounded, you will be hurt. Turn it into some wisdom like Joseph did. A guy called Ken Page says this, our deepest wounds are our greatest gifts. Let me say that again. Our deepest wounds are our greatest gifts. So if you've been hurt, if you're smarting, if you're feeling it today, and I have a knowledge of some situations but not all, if you're in that pace, may God, my dear brother and sister, turn your wound into a gift. Yes, here's the consequence of this. Deceit brings pain. Only you can do this. Please apply the cross to your wounds. It's the only real healer. Here's the second one. A pit of deflection. Jeremiah. Now, let me tell you what Jeremiah did. He just brought a consistent message to God's people, but they rejected again and again the message he was bringing. He's saying, turn back to God. Don't go this way. Don't do that, because that way there is no blessing from God. But what, what, well, who'd want to be a pastor like Jeremiah with people you constantly preach at and they ignore everything you say? And that was what was happening to this guy. And I think I'll put it on the PowerPoint here. Yeah, he, there was a practical implication. He wanted to claim something that was rightly his by his inheritance, but his motives were misinterpreted and permission was refused for him to actually get that piece of land. And lastly, he was falsely accused and he was moved into ever-declining captivity. Um, think about this. One moment, and I researched it, he was in a cell. Then from the cell, which wasn't nice but not too bad, he was moved into a stinky old dungeon in the heart of the prison. Then from the stinky dungeon, he was put into a disused well up basically to his armpits. Prophet in pits, yeah? There he was in this stinky situation. Now think about it. You've only done what God asked you to do and you find yourself in this downward descent and now you're in that place. Has that ever happened to any of you? You've been faithful, you've prayed, you've done everything that God told you to, and yet the situation gets worse and worse and worse. And then, to add salt into the wounds, while he's in there, the king sticks his head down the well and says, Jeremiah, I've got a problem. What should I do? <laughs> yes. Has that happened to you? In a workplace scenario when someone's totally stuffed and bugged it up and didn't listen to the way that you suggested they do it, and then they come to you and say, what do I do now? It's a bit like that, isn't it? But far worse. Now, if I'd been there, I would have railed and shouted and possibly, dare I say, even sworn back at the king on your bike. (laughs) If you think I'm helping you now, mate, clear off. But he didn't, did he? He still gave advice. What does that teach us? It tells us that even when you're in the deepest place, people will still know who to go to. People will still know. Your greatest adversary in their heart will have a grudging respect for you and will still come to you for help and advice. So here he is in this cistern, and the Bible tells us it took 30 men with rags under Jeremiah's arms to actually get him out of that. Now, in this situation, and this is very important for Christians now, he refuses to dilute or soften his message. One day I'll preach a message on this. The problem with the modern church is it allows itself to be moulded by culture. Now, culture is right and good. There's nothing wrong with that. But the church should be moulded by, A, the creational order, and B, the covenantal status we have in Christ. So there's three points for you which we'll preach on another time. 
Jeremiah would not adjust. He said, this is what the word of God says, and I'm sticking with it. Friends, today, faithful Christians, because they're being true to the word of God, are losing their status, their position, their job, and being accused of being all sorts of horrible things that they obviously are not. And I would suggest to you that we're in a situation where we've got a diseased and a decaying nation where we call black, white, and white, black. Yes? And therefore you stand there in that place and you seem to be the voice that is out of sync. Friends, Satan wants you, as he tempted Jeremiah, soften the message. Now, let me state this carefully because I know it's being recorded. We need wisdom with the words we say. We need a demeanour that demonstrates love and kindness, not horrendous stuff that comes out sometimes. But we cannot compromise on the fundamental. You must be true to the word of God. And it could cost you your income. It could cost you your career. It could cost you your life. Because you're not just fighting a philosophy. You're fighting a power of darkness that's behind that philosophy. You understand it? it. It's serious stuff. I know I joke and I laugh, but this is deadly serious stuff. What you need is the Ephesians thing where it says, wear around your waist the belt of truth and the belt of integrity. Live a life that is upright before God that still won't stop them twisting the situation. Didn't stop them with Jeremiah, did it? But Jeremiah could come through it all and say, A, I've delivered the message. B, I've lived a right life. Yes, two simple principles. Deliver the message, live a right life. So where are we going? We need the belt of truth and integrity. Here's the last point. Have truth in your inner person, in the pit of deflection, where the devil is trying to say, soften it up, move this way, move with the times, soften it up, move this way. No deflection by compromise. Number three, the pit of deliverance. You like the story of Daniel? (laughs) Hands up if you went to Sunday school. Yeah, it's almost a thing of the past now, isn't it? So on good ground, I know that you will know the story of Daniel in the pit of deliverance. So let's follow the sequence. You overcome defeat. You overcome deflection. You know that all those guys are watching you pray three times a day. When Daniel prayed, he knew. He wasn't being stupid, but he carried on the practice of saying, I will pray to my God. Now, let's see if it's up there. If we overcome defeat and deflection, we'll begin to live in deliverance. Now, I'd like to give you a thumbnail sketch of this guy. When he was a teenager, he rejected hedonism. He said, I'm not going to follow that lifestyle. I'm going to follow a simple lifestyle that will honour God. So it wasn't something he discovered in his 70s. From 15 years of age, this guy was following God. I thank God today that I'm nudging towards my 69th year, and I thank God I can run with somebody who's 15. Well, they'll outrun me, but you know what I mean. We can run together believing the principles that we will be true to our Christian faith and will be true with what the word of God. So I pray that generations of godly people will run through our land with the truth. Yes? Don't just sit back in the armchair. Yes, maybe physically you can't do stuff, but pray, pray, pray that things will be broken down so that those who are physically able would have an entrance in. So he rejected hedonism. When he was middle-aged, gosh, middle age seems to get older, doesn't it? See, when I, when I was a young man, I thought anybody over 40 or anybody over 35 was past it. But suddenly it's nearly 69. I think, well, I'm not an old codger yet. 
It's how it goes, isn't it? It keeps going up. But he was in his middle years, a time where he said, I've got a cosy position in the court, but I'm not settling for comfort. I'm not settling for compromise. I will still worship my God, whatever it costs. And when he got his senior years, he remained radical. Hallelujah. And he kept releasing the message. Friends, I want to be radical. Now, I can assure you that when I stand in Stephen's place on Wednesday night, I will not be wearing his skinny jeans and odd socks. They wouldn't fit for a start, and you'd see my belly button. But what I'm saying is I don't have to ape or try and be like somebody else, but I do want to be radical in my outlook and in my mind. See, in my mind, I'm still in my mid-twenties. That's a terrible place to be, isn't it? It's a great place to be because I'm saying until God takes me, I want impact. I want impact with my family. I want impact with the workplace. I want impact with fellow leaders. I'm not ready to be pastured out. Hallelujah. Not yet. If God wants to, that's fine. I'm not a bed blocker. You get me. Sack me, get rid of me. Really don't mind. I'll still follow Jesus. It's nothing to do with the title. It's to do with the passion that's in your spirit and in your soul. So think of this guy for 70 years through one, two, three, four different heathen kings. He maintained his stand and he responded with just stirring up the message all the way along. I love it. So you are going to go through what I will call, oh, there he is. Fair enough, it's all there. You're going to go through the lion's den. I couldn't resist putting a little cheesy thing in there. Your problems become your pillow. It's a nice thought, isn't it? Your problems become your pillow. Now, whether it's true that Daniel slept with one head on a lion, that must have been brave, mustn't it? Can you imagine it? You can hear the chest going up. He may have done, he may not. He may have sat in a corner and prayed. I really don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. But I think the principle is true. Satan's put you in there. You can feel the hot breath. You can feel everything else. And he said, that's it. It's not going to be long. They're going to get hungry about 2 o'clock or 2 a.m. And you're out of here. But Daniel rested in his God. His problem became his pillow. And think about it. Many people in in the world today are persecuted for their faith and many of them are becoming martyrs. Did you know there are more Christian martyrs in this century than ever before? Isn't that staggering? You could go right back to, think of what Nero did. Threw the Christians to the lions. Put them on a stake and set light to them in his imperial gardens uh, to light the pathways for his guests at his various banquets and orgies. That's horrendous stuff, isn't it? But that kind of level in different ways is happening in many nations today. It's a scary thing. And people will look and say, well, the martyr has lost. I say, no, the martyr has won. Do you know why? Because your life may be 70, 80, 90 years at best, but you're going into glory. And when you're in that eternal dimension, the scripture says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. We don't preach enough on Jesus coming back. We don't preach enough on saying we are people of eternity. We get so confused. What's on my mind now? So I'll go home and have a light bit of lunch and then I'll start thinking about the program for next week and then we'll look at the other diaries we've got and we'll do that. Oh yes, and I've got to pay for that on the internet and I've got to track that item on eBay. None of that matters, does it? All that matters is knowing him and loving him. So Joseph, Jeremiah, Daniel, all were in a pit, all passed through the pit. And they got to be rescued from the pit. Now, for some, that may not be the case. Let's be honest. Some may have to die for their faith. But ultimately, when they stand before the king and the Lord of lords, nothing matters, does it? 
nothing matters. Why struggle for applause from systems and philosophies that only last in this life? I want the applause of the King of Kings. How about you? God will get greater glory by you going through the trial. Okay, last one's quite quick. The pit of deeds, Ben and I. So, the scripture says, the people that know their God shall be mighty and do great deeds. Yeah? Now, you might think the man was a bit of a fool. Why go and take on a lion in the pit with just your spear? Well, there was a specific reason why he did it. Now, I believe that in the previous three examples, we've seen a growth process. So here's the sad news. If you've been in one pit, you'll probably end up in another. Is that good news? Yeah. <laughs> Not in reality, it isn't, no. Because they get deeper and smellier and tougher. But you have grown spiritually. You put on some muscle, not fat. You're able to deal with a crisis and then you're able to minister to others. What you can't have is what I call... Ah, uh, bo yeah, let's get to it now. <coughs> Deeds need to be done via a real relationship, not a referred religion. You've often listened to Stephen say that he felt, I forget the name of his son, but one of his sons was preaching in the church and doing all sorts of stuff, but eventually he made the statement that it was almost something that he learned. I became a Christian at a Billy Graham rally, and I think I was 17 years of age. Yes, I was. Prior to that, I went to a church youth club because there was nothing better to do. There wasn't all the stuff that's out there now. Costa coffee didn't exist. blah de blah There was a thing called the milk bar that you went to, and there was a roller skating rink that was sort of falling to bits, and that was the entertainment you got. So if there was a youth club, you went to it, and I went to it, and I watched these Christians, and I learned how to pray. I learned how to put a shirt and a collar on. I learned how to say the right words. I learned to be nice to old ladies. And then I went into this meeting and the guy preached and I thought, I'm lost, I don't know Jesus, I've got a referred religion. You understand what I'm saying? I need to make my decision now. And then I came back the following Sunday to the church and I said to the pastor, I want to give my testimony. He said, what about? I said, last Saturday I became a Christian. He said, but I thought you were. I thought you were. I wonder how many people in this place have a referred religion or a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you learned to pray? Have you copied them? I don't mean it in a nasty way. I did it because I needed approval. And the way to get approval was to copy the stuff that was there around me from the peer group that gave me that approval. Are you following that? Interesting stuff. What's this got to do? Well, yeah, it's got to do with him. That guy on his own had a real relationship, did he? He overcome the lion or overcame the lion, and so can you. There's stuff I put down here about Ben and I's CV. We'll leave that for another day. What I want to say is this. When you are going to do a deed, it functions best when things are tough. All together now, when the going gets tough, the tough. I knew you'd remember it. (laughs) And okay, it's a cheesy old thing, but it makes you remember, doesn't it? God takes you through these pits, get tougher and tougher, until you're almost saying, bring it on. It's been said in this church by some people, hasn't it? Bring it on. It still needs to be echoed into our spirits. Deeds are mighty because they are done against the odds. It ain't going to get easier, folks. And it'll get tougher. And if you think this small little compact church will escape whatever is looking, it will not escape the eye, especially when you're putting sermons up on the internet for all to listen to. So, am I being spooky? No, I think I'm being a realist. Spirit-filled led warriors overcome the odds. You ready to do it, guys? 
Let's try again. Are you ready to do it, guys? Despite everything I've told you that's going to be stinky and smelly and difficult and complicated and the rest, are you still prepared to do it? Yes. No, you're not. Go home and pray about it and think about it. Come back next week and then say you're ready to do it. Because that's how this message went through me, like a spiritual ex-lax, if you like. So, let's... Yes, I had to throw that in, I'm sorry. You're going to overview, you overcome in the pits. Can you remember these two things? I'm now about to tell you everything I told you at the start. Satan wants to pollute, petrify, and putrefy you. God wants to purify, give peace, and project you onwards. So don't go out of here feeling miserable and down. Feel that if God has entrusted you with a tough situation that will bring him greater glory, what an honour. What an honour. Yes, don't look for the escape door. Work your way through it. God will be with you in it. Sermon in a sentence. There's our four guys. Joseph in his... Jeremiah and his, Daniel and his, Benaniah and his. Pits do profit us and others because people are watching you. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for your word. It's easy to preach but difficult to live it. And so we come to you today and we'd like to say very boldly, bring it on, but there's a hesitancy in our hearts because we don't know just what's around the corner. But you have said, I am with you always. And therefore, Lord, if you have for us difficult and tough times ahead, then we stand up and we say, I'll be a warrior for Jesus. I'll go through it because the power of his Holy Spirit will help me to overcome. And Lord, I want to particularly pray for our young generation who are passing through stuff that we never had to go through. It's so difficult. It's so complex. We could just take one easy definition that there are no... 22 stated sexualities in society and that's just one challenge they've got to wrestle with and apply their faith to and much other so Lord as we deal with these tough issues that are out there help us to glorify Jesus Amen Thank you for listening to this episode of the Word of the Week podcast this episode was recorded live at our weekly service on the 19th of May 2019 and pulled from the archive on the 21st of October 2019. If you enjoyed this episode of the Word of the Week, be sure to check out our other episodes by searching for HC3 Word of the Week in your podcast app. Alternatively, you can visit anchor.fm forward slash hc3church for an up-to-date list of every single episode published. If you'd like to join us in worshipping God, you can visit our website at hc3church.co.uk more information and of course if you have any feedback about this episode or any others we'd love to hear it you can tweet us at hc3church god bless you